Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Regaining Financial Freedom with Samantha Edis. Women's magazines talk so much about saving money, and men's magazines talk about investing money. I think that we need to start getting women to think more about earning money. We need to shift women's minds about how we are actually bending in relation to how much we're earning. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Samantha Edis, a champion who has devoted her career to advocating and supporting women in pursuit of their goals. She is the founder and CEO of Park Place Payments, a company changing the lives of people seeking opportunities to re-enter the workforce. She is a best-selling author of five books, with her last being The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction. I hope today's conversation will leave you with a sense of purpose and determination as we delve into the reality women face once they have families, perhaps leave the workforce, or struggle to regain their financial independence. Samantha's insights and compassion will speak to anyone who has ever needed guidance on how to take back your confidence. Good morning, Samantha. I'm so pleased to be able to have you joining us today. Talking about money is one of the one of the challenging things in the world. And I'm sure you would agree with me, no matter how old we are, how many successes we've had, how many things we've done, somehow that topic of money remains challenging. And really? so and, and men are so comfortable talking about it. <laughs> so this an ounce of that would be in better shape. <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is one of the reasons why it is great to have you, Samantha Edis, a champion for women's financial independence in so many ways and so many amazing things that she's done as a writer, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a business founder, an owner, a mom, a family leader, everything. So it puts you in a great position to help us with this conversation. I'd like to open it with a question that I really ask all of my guests, and I'm so especially interested in your perspective, Sam. If you think back to your growing up years, do you recall how you really first learned about money? Oh, I cannot forget it, actually. My mother, we were I grew up in New York City in an apartment building on the 26th floor, And one day we got out of the elevator and my mom said, you know, Mrs. Riles? And I said, of course, I've known her my whole life. And she said, Mrs. Riles hates her husband, but she has no money of her own, so she can never leave him. Don't be like Mrs. Riles. Wow. I can see why that stuck with you for Yes. I mean, it's a pretty crass delivery of that message, but at the same time, it, it did hit home for me. And I think that's just always been in the back of my mind is that money offers freedom. And no matter how wonderful your relationship is, unexpected things can happen in life and you always want to be protected um, financially. Absolutely. Fundamental. Couldn't agree more. So with that lesson, that amazingly powerful, dramatic lesson from your mom, do you remember that your parents had any intentional money lessons or was it more just you're observing how your family went about things and then learning on your own? I think of all, yeah, all of our money styles, I would say, are in some ways a reaction to what we grew up with. And For me personally, my parents 
definitely had incredible work-life balance. They shared a company together, but they were both always home for dinner. Um, And so I feel like they made enough that we had the lifestyle they wanted to give us. um, And we were able to go on vacations and had a nice life. But they were never the wealthiest people in the room. They were always comfortable. And my mom would often use that word comfortable. And I think it's such a great way to think about it. So I, you know, I, I look at my husband and his, his parents were more frugal. And I think that the, what we've tried to come to together is our own way of thinking about money and our own style of dealing with, with money. Although I will say that I'm a lot more comfortable in the discomfort. So he's, he would much rather be more conservative and I don't believe with, you know, being buried with all your money, I believe that you should enjoy life and and that's what you earn your money for. So it's an intricate um, and delicate balance to, to live and to weave. But it sounds like in your, both in your family growing up and now in your own still growing and learning family, you all talk about it. I mean, you, you somehow know what your values are. You've just mentioned two or three core values that really connect to money that you have. So thinking back maybe even before this phase when you were in college, and I know you were a competitive athlete and a successful student, have a you know, premier education in business school. So somehow as a young uh, professional, that sense of aspiration and independence was ingrained in you because you really took those core lessons and kept going on your own. Was that just the way you are? Or do you think you learned along the way or both? I'm always thinking about just with my own children, even the whole nature versus nurture thing. And you look at your kids and they're all so different from one another. And you think, but they all grew up in the same home with the same values and, and same culture. So how did that happen? So I think there's this combination of it. I do think that in many ways, when you are trained to be a competitor from such a young age, there's something unhealthy about it because you you become it's almost like you have a job but you're a child. So you're 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 not you never have a full childhood. You're always worried about the tournament this weekend or or a win or a loss at a very young age. So mm-hmm. I do think that that you know we can all we can all look at everything that's happened in our history and regret certain things or say, oh, I wish it hadn't been done this way. And now that I'm a parent, I realize I always wonder which things right. <laughs> the kids blame me for. But I think that it, at the end of the day, um, the way I had to train my mind and my life to manage a very competitive school environment with a lot of homework and my tennis and the rest of my life, which was friends and family, um, I really learned to compartmentalize and that actually drove the way I today think about how to manage a professional and personal life together. So right. those lessons have been really valuable for me. Uh, and I think that, that that's really helpful. And I also, I, I've noticed that everyone in terms of money, because I, I mean, you and I are so passionate about this topic, Linda, we could talk about this forever. Like we could have a zillion dinners right. and we never stop talking because I find it fascinating how one person prioritizes the the in handbag and they'll spend thousands of dollars on that but they might not go to the nicest restaurant for dinner they'd rather you know so so everyone has their things mm-hmm. that that make them really happy and i think knowing what those things are is important rather than judging that person because 
they spend so much on on whatever it is. I remember um, we we were fortunate enough to be able to hire a decorator when we first moved to LA to decorate part of our house. And and um, she called me one day and she said, where are the rest of your shoes? We're in your closet right now. And I'm just trying to figure out how much space everything needs with you and your husband. And I said, what do you mean? They're all there. And she said, it's just very rare for someone who lives like you to have this few shoes. <laughs> what a funny <laughs> thing to notice. I know. And I thought, really? Like, I didn't even know that. I just know that I rarely ever buy shoes. And when I do, it's like unusual and exciting. And I, I buy really nice shoes. But I, I was looking at a picture of myself the other day and I realized I wore those same boots that I'm wearing today six years ago which is highly unusual. And at the time, I probably spent way more than I should have on this pair of boots. But look, six years later, they're there. So I think we're always learning about our own spending habits and figuring out what we could have done better. So spending, you and I both know that what you earn is great, but what you spend is really critical. So I think you're a, you're a mom of a couple of kids who are getting into those teenage years, right? And so they're very aware of what's out there, all the great stuff, what their friends have. Are there conversations that you and your husband have with your kids about spending or have you, are they budgets or how do you, how do you manage that? I think the jury is still out on how my children will handle money. We have a 13 year old, sorry, she just turned 14, 14 year old, a 12 year old and a nine year old. Mm -hmm. And my daughters are 14 and 12. And I was obsessed when they were little with not making them think about clothing. So I had a, all these very strict rules for myself. Like I could never have a wardrobe crisis in front of my children. I had to stick with the first thing I put on in the morning because if they saw me pulling things off my body and then changing a zillion times before the day starts, that was what they were going to do when they were eight. And that has backfired in a way. Because I have two daughters who will not shop. They can't, they don't want to talk about clothing. They don't care about clothing. I can't get them. I have one daughter who's 14. She thinks one pair of jeans is enough because buying more would be a waste of money. So wow. somehow I've ended up with these daughters who don't care about material things and they won't shop. <laughs> so there's there's some sort of irony in that. But we do, they, they, I like to make them aware of the fact that daddy and mommy work hard so that we can afford this vacation. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel guilty about working because, and, and I wish that we could change the prism of how women, especially in this country, and even men speak to women about working and momming, right? Yes. One of the best things you can do as a mother is role model to your child that you are earning money. No one ever was sorry that their mother taught them the lesson of hard work. And I think that we've gotten into this stage where everyone is so overparented and, you know, parenting didn't used to be a verb <laughs> and now everyone's so overparented and the guilt is out of control and at the end of the day, is your child really being helped by you not earning money? Probably not. Um, so many people get themselves into really risky, dangerous situations when they don't earn money. And something you said earlier, Linda, you said um, it's really about spending, not earning. I read this statistic that women's magazines talk so much about saving money. Mm -hmm. 
And men's magazines talk about investing money. Love that. So, you know, I think that we need to start getting women to think more about earning money. If you like your $5 latte, just enjoy it. Like that's like probably the highlight of my morning. <laughs> just, you know? just know where it comes yeah, from, exactly. right? Just so, know where so it comes from. Yeah. So it's if you really enjoy that, it's not about not having it and depriving yourself. It's about earning enough money so that you can afford that because that's what makes you happy. So I think that we need to shift women's minds about how we are actually spending our money in relation to how much we're earning. And I noticed this when I was raising money for my company, Park Place Payments. I, I I had this goal when I first started that I was only going to raise money from women. And I was raising a seed round and you know this well. And I was and I decided I'm just gonna raise money from women. And then I quickly learned that women don't control money in this country. And as much as we like to think we've evolved. I, I talked to a lot of women that I thought of as very strong, powerful women who would say, oh, my husband makes those decisions. Let me talk to him. And I thought, okay, then you're not my person for this. But what I quickly realized is if, if I wanted, I like to do things fast and I like to grow things fast and I wanted to raise the money fast. And I knew I could because everyone I talked to was interested in the story. But I also knew that it would be very easy to raise the money fast if I wanted to raise it only from white men. So I switched my goal from being 100% women to being 50% women and people of color. And that was when I was able to close my round fast. But I, I think of how few women are comfortable investing. And it makes me sad because there's no reason that women shouldn't be getting that part of the pie and getting you know, exposure to, to things that could be incredibly lucrative for them. So I think we need to train women on being more comfortable investing. But this also goes back to so many other things. I was at dinner with a, a, a mom, a, a group of moms the other night, and one woman talked about getting permission from her husband to buy something. And I thought, we're not in 1950 anymore. What is your child hearing in your home? And what are they going to grow up with? And um, so it's really you've you've touched on so many things. It's really the the competence of skills and education, but it's also the confidence of I have I'm entitled to this. It's my right. And combined with a sense of aspiration. And so one of the, I mean, there's so many amazing things you've done, but what you were mentioning Park Place, and I'd love to explore that a little bit with you because it seems like that business that you founded, I mean, talk about an inspirational story to other women, women founded business, you went out and raised the money to get this business launched and tell our listeners a little bit more just about your whole mission and purpose of Park Place and how it helps women achieve financial uh, independence on their own. So I had been uh, doing a speaking tour for my last book and I was on the road talking to tons of companies, but I was also speaking at a lot of women's conferences. And one of the groups of women I was just unable to help were the women who left the workforce and wanted to return. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the statistics are pretty grim. So if you leave the workforce for just a couple of years and you want to return, and and by the way, 90% of women who leave want to return, less than 50% will ever get a full-time position again for the rest of their lives. It's amazing. 
So we, we're selling women on this fairy tale of you can choose. What are you going to do? We see pregnant women all the time. What are you going to do? Are you going to work or stay home? And it's like, stop. That's poisoning women. That is not, that, that's actually not a realistic choice. If you leave, the, the likely outcome is you're leaving forever. And we need to start sharing that with women because most women don't realize that. They think they're just taking a year or two off or three years off, and then suddenly there's no opportunities. And so the only opportunities a lot of women are finding are these MLMs, these multi-level marketing companies where they're selling makeup or skincare or essential oils to their friends. And they're often losing money and only a couple of percent are actually making money. And if they are making money, most of them aren't even making martini money. You know, they're, they're just not making enough money. It's taking their time and their energy, but they're yes. not getting anything for it. Yes. It makes them feel good because we all feel better when we're doing something outside of our homes. But it's not actually a, a return on the investment of time, as you said. So, so I thought, why aren't these really you know, intelligent, experienced women, educated, why aren't they selling a financial services product? And I've had this front row seat to the credit card processing industry for the last 10 years. And I noticed how male it was, how lucrative it was, how it's all recurring revenue, and how it's based on relationships with your local businesses. Now, who better to have those relationships than moms in the community, right? right? They are already going to the hair salon, going to the toy store, going to the pediatrician, the orthodontist, the dentist. And so I started training women across the country to sell credit card processing to their local businesses, to people they already have relationships with. Right. And they started doing phenomenally well. And based on that, I raised my first seed round of money. And um, it was off to the races after that. We have an incredible team from the payments industry. And we have now 120 account executives who are across 30 states. And we'll have 1,000 by the end of this year. And it's, it's really, for me, people will say, this is so unsexy. You used to be on the Today Show all the time. And now you're talking about credit cards. And I think, I'm not talking about credit cards. I'm talking about women's financial independence. And there's nothing sexier to me. Um, we're expanding the, the definition of off the sidelines also now to think about other populations that need to get off the sidelines, whether it's stay-at-home dads or whether it is athletes who you know retired and don't have a chance at a second career. So there's so many populations that can benefit from this financial independence, and we want them all to join us. So, so your congratulations. I mean, a business founded by a woman staffed your staff your team I'm sure is largely women you're yeah. appealing to so many women who are at points in their life where they need this re-entry and they're gaining the skills and the financial independence so let's just hope it keeps going to the going to the moon I know I know that it will we look forward yeah, to hearing that's what that. our plan is yeah and, and I think you know for me seeing a woman who hasn't earned money in years there is something that happens to your confidence when you haven't earned money in a really long time. I see it all the time. And um, the confidence people get just from selling two accounts and suddenly having a three-figure check every month, it does something to them. And then they have a goal of building that to four figures. And then I agree with you. It's that confidence and competence. And yeah. so you're, you're, you're doing both. And was there ever a time in that whole fundraising, raising that money, making those calls? Uh, maybe I hesitate to ask you this because you're so confident, but did you ever have a moment where your own confidence at doing that part of the job was 
was even a little bit shaken by just by again by the fundraising aspect. It was. I, um, I one of the people that I was raising money from originally was a, a, a man who uh, called me after he'd already said yes in person. We met for a few hours, and he said yes, and he was very gung ho and excited and committed to putting a lot of money in. And he called me about a week later, and our our documents, our docs, had, our closing docs had already been sent out, and he said you know, I was thinking about it and you have so many people in your life counting on you. Are you sure you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Oh my goodness. And I thought, would this, would he ever say that to a man with three kids or would he say, oh good, this guy has a lot of pressure on his back. He's going to do awesome, right? It's it's just how we perceive it. And I thought something is just wrong here. So So even at your stage, you're an amazing, successful entrepreneur. You have the best education. You have everything going. You founded this company, and yet still you faced those challenges about sort of questioning your own competence to be there. It's good for us, our listeners, to hear because sometimes we think, wow, you know, once I get to be as successful as Samantha, I'll have it made and it will never be a moment of where my confidence will be tested. But you just shared that we all have to be ready for those moments. I think we all have crises of confidence all the time. I mean, in this particular situation, I was on spring break with my kids I just sent out the closing docs. I was feeling so great. I was done raising my money. I could just go and enjoy my children. And I got this call. And I remember the only other person I had to talk to in the room was my husband. And I said to him, and he's a successful venture-backed entrepreneur. So I said to him, oh my gosh, listen to what just happened. And his reaction was, just save it. Just figure out how to save it. It's money is money. And I, I, that was my instinct was let's just save it. Let's just save it. And it was a really bad thing to do because that ended up really eroding my confidence. Cause here I was, I'd already had all the difficult conversations with this guy before this, like I, he was already, we were done and he was backpedaling and asking for so much more information. And I just had this bad feeling like this is not going to, to end well. So at one point I just called him and I was like, it just didn't seem like this is a fit. Even though for me, I couldn't believe that suddenly I had to go re-raise this money. You know, I thought I was done. So I suddenly turned to my husband and said, okay, you take the kids skiing. I'm, I'm going to be working the phones today. And that's, that's a phenomenal lesson. Just yeah. the fact that success is not in a straight line when it comes to uh, anything that we're doing, um, that you have to have those moments of fear and anxiety, and that sometimes doing the best thing for you and your own uh, sense of self-worth is going to turn out to be the best thing for the money side eventually, right? Well, and the best thing ended up happening out of this, even though it was a few weeks of a lot of fear and challenge. And by the way, you know, when you're when you're managing your personal life and you have something like this happen, I think the greatest challenge is to protect your relationships from what you're going through because it's not fair to that that's my my family's spring break too. And it's not fair to drag my, you know, challenges into an anxiety into them. So I think it's also um, I think that's probably the greatest challenge was I, I have to protect them from what I'm going through. Um, and it and it wasn't an overnight thing that I was going to work the phones for one day and solve it, right? So right. it took a lot of time. So one of the things that I did was I knew I had a business trip coming up two weeks later. 
where I was going to be going to Austin for a conference. And I looked on, I remember it was a Saturday morning. I looked on LinkedIn and I looked up angel investors in Austin and I started cold contacting them on LinkedIn. And one of the people that I noticed was a woman I'd grown up playing tennis with when I was 11 years old. She was an like one of the best tennis players in the country. And she ended up playing for Stanford. She's a phenomenal person. I had not been in touch with her since we were, I think the last time I saw her I was 14 years old. And I reached out to her and I said, I'm going to be in Austin next week. I saw you're an angel investor. I think you might be interested in this thing I'm doing. She's like, let's have lunch Friday. So we had lunch. And at the lunch, she said, I'll put in money. I'm totally excited about this. And I have three other Austin friends you must meet. And so I ended up really filling the gap that that guy had left right. with these three incredible women. And I feel so much better now about the spectrum of who is involved in the round. So I think a lot of those things that feel like at the time, like you have like someone choking you, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? They end up yielding new opportunities. I think that's a that's a such an inspiring thing for us all to remember. Whether we're just starting out, whether we're new moms, whether we're going back to work, whether we've been in our companies for years, whether you're a founder, that it's those ups and downs. And as you say, you've combined all those aspects of your life. And just one final comment, just for our audience, I know that one of your successful experiences as an author is in your book, The Pie Life. And I think that's such a good way to summarize our conversation because you've talked about this, all the different facets of women's lives and we think of it as a pie. So there you were on spring break, having all kinds of slices of that pie right there in your, <laughs> in your spring break. So Samantha, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and for providing such great opportunities for women throughout your life and just wish you every continued success and keep inspiring us all. So thank, thank you, you very so much. much, Linda. Thank you for having me. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about the incredible lineup of women on our podcast and share your own money story. Until next time.